listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Glad you're here. Um, I'm going to share, we're going to continue our our study in the book of Luke. So we're going to pick up where Kevin left off last week in Luke chapter 4. We're going to go through chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 14 through 30. And so this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. I want to ask everybody to, um, to grab your Bible. Um, grab your phone, your version. If, you, if you've not downloaded the app, the Oasis app yet, do that or get the version, the Bible app. Um, how many of you have the, have the Oasis app on your phone? Um, if you don't, go grab that because it has a lot of great information on here. Um, it will include um, announcements of what's going on at the church but also the um, Sunday morning, and you can get the notes and follow along with everything that's going on. That's all in the app, or it's in you version, so we'd encourage you to do that. So now that I've given you time to grab your phone, to grab your Bible, I'd like to ask you to stand with us this morning um, for the reading of his word. It's a little bit different than what we normally do, um, but um, I, there's, a, there's a purpose behind that um, that we'll, we'll talk about in just a moment. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And we're going to read through verse 30, um, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogue by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all the people spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in, our, in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up in three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, 
And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which they, their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the time we can come together and study and read and, and learn. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to accept the message today, open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, Lord, and, um, and our hearts to receive your word. God, we thank you and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so picking up where we, where we left off last week, you'll recall um, Kevin shared about the, the temptations and how Jesus was led out into the wilderness and he was there, he was tempted, and he endured many temptations. And then right here in the book of Luke, we have two verses, chapter four, uh, verse 14, verse 15, just real quick, and then we get into Nazareth. There's a lot of people, and you, as I'm reading through um, different commentaries and, and different um, messages, different things about this portion of Scripture, I, I've seen some people make a statement that he started his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. And in and, and reality, that's, that's not the case. In verse 14 and 15 show us that, that his fame and the things that he had been uh, doing around and about was, was being discussed. And, and the report about him was going all through the surrounding country. And he went synagogue to synagogue in different areas um, already teaching and preaching the word. So in, in Luke, Luke, it looks like he went straight from the wilderness and right on to his hometown, and there was nothing in between. But 14 and 15 tell us that there is. Well, if you go to the book of John, you'll find that there's a lot of things recorded in John that wasn't recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarities, and they, they follow similar timelines and events, whereas John steps out of that, and he starts talking a little bit more about some of the things that happen that's, that we don't see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, so if you just read the book of Luke, you would miss a variety of things. There's a lot of things that happened in verse 14 and 15. Um, you, you know the story where Jesus changed water to wine at Cana. That happened, um, in between the, the temptation and this time in Nazareth. Um, he, he went into the temple and he saw that they were, they were, they were basically made it a, a, a farmer's market and they were selling, um, things for the, uh, for, for the, um, uh, sacrifice and, and they were cheating people and he got angry and he, you'll recall he turned over tables and he poured the money out and everybody's like, oh my goodness, he, He's lost it, but he had a zeal for the father's house. Don't make my father's house a den of thieves. It's a house of prayer. Um, so we, we still need to remember that and be careful that we're not. Um, we're not doing things in his house that would bring him reproach or that would make him um, want to come in and turn our tables over, right? So we have to be aware that this is a, this is a place of prayer and, and study and reverence. Um, he taught Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, came to him at night and started asking him questions. This is where we get the scripture. Um, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That verse of scripture, the very first one I ever memorized, I remember as a little kid going to my grandmother's church, if you could memorize that scripture, they'd give you a pencil. I wanted that pencil. And I, but see, it buried that scripture deep into my heart and into my mind. And if we just, if we just read verse 14 and 15, we might miss that God so loved the world. The Samaritan woman at the well. 
when he was on his way to Nazareth and he encountered her at the well and she, she's like, give me something to drink. She's like, how are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. And he said, oh, you know, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask me for water. The everlasting living water that you'll never thirst again. And, and uh, she told her things that he knew about her and she was like, oh my goodness. And he said, I'm the Messiah. He revealed to her. On his way, he also, there was a, an official that came to him and said, my son's dying. Would you please heal him? Come, come to him before he dies. And, and Jesus said, you know, you, you people will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. He said, please, just come before he dies. And Jesus said, go, your son will live. And he was on his way back, and the, the, the man's um, family and people were coming to join him and said, hey, he's alive, he's fine, his fever broke. And he said, when, did he, when his fever broke? He said, it was about 7 o'clock yesterday, the seventh hour yesterday. And he realized that that was the same hour that Jesus told him, go, your son will live. He and his whole family believed. So there's a lot that took place in verse 14 and 15. So understand that his hometown very likely had heard a lot of these things. And might have been there and seen and experienced some of these things. We don't know. But it's very likely because as he came back to Nazareth. And he went to the synagogue on Sabbath. As he was accustomed to do. Isn't that interesting to you? It's interesting to me. Because Jesus went to church every week. And I've heard people say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Oh, you 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 probably don't, but it's a lot easier. Remember that old show, Mama's Family? Remember Mama's Family? Anybody? No? If YouTube it, all right? (laughs) Mama's Family. There there was a comment um, in that show where somebody said, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to go, uh, go to church to be a Christian. And she said, yeah, well, you don't have to wear a parachute to jump out of a plane either, but... It's a little easier. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, Jesus was the example, and he, every, every time, he, every opportunity, he was in the Father's house, and he was, he was sitting and listening, um, the teacher um, listening, taking it in. So here he is. He started his ministry. He's made it back to his hometown. And he walks in. Now, you ought, you ought to understand this. So a synagogue is kind of like a, kind of like a church. Um, but in, in those times, it's not, it's not where the, the sacrifices was done. That was still the temple in Jerusalem. But in communities, they would set up a place where they could go and they could have prayer and they could read the word and they could study. And so this was one of those places. Nazareth in those days was a really small town. Um, and it was considered um, probably backwoods. Um, there was a comment in the book of John where somebody said, uh, I think it was Nathaniel said, can anything come out of Nazareth? We, we hear that a lot about Polk County. Can anything good come out of Polk County? Uh, you know, uh, but, and, and it gets on my nerves sometimes because, yeah, there's a lot of good things here in Polk County. But that's what Jesus, when they said Jesus of Nazareth, it was almost a slur to him. But Jesus come from Nazareth. How can he be the Messiah? How can he come from such low and yet be saying that that's who he is? Isn't he supposed to be royal? And right? But here he is in Nazareth. 
It was very likely this was the place that Jesus grew up going to synagogue every week with his family. And now here he is back. Because for a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 adult men there to hold a service. Now in Jerusalem, there were likely multiple hundreds of synagogues. But in in Nazareth, this was the place. This was his hometown. This was his home church. His home synagogue, right? And he goes in, he sits down. What was custom is they didn't have a pastor like they have today, right? So, so they had somebody who was the chief over the synagogue, and they had people responsible for various things, like getting the scrolls and delivering to the person who's going to be reading and teaching. They would do these things. And um, they would often bring in a, 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 a guest speaker, someone traveling from out of town to come in and, and talk to them. Maybe it was a priest that was coming through, and they would come in, have him come in, read, and teach them. And, uh, but if not, then you had to be a pro- an approved teacher, someone that the chief had approved to stand up and teach. So when Jesus stood up, it tells us that he was probably one of those approved by the synagogue. They know Jesus. They know who he is. And so he was there, and here's the scene. They've been hearing about Jesus for months, and some have seen what he's done. He's, he's healed the sick. He even went to the temple and started throwing over the tables there's a lot of things. We heard that he was baptized down in the Jordan River and there was this booming voice come from heaven and a dove landed on his shoulder. They've heard a lot of things about him. And now here he is in their midst. And he begins, he stands up and he says, I, um, you know, I, I, will, uh, I will read today. And they, and they bring him the scrolls. And so normally they, they might have sections that they've already decided this is what we're going to be reading for this time. But today... Jesus grabs the scroll and he turns to a specific part and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm going to stop right there. Let's talk first about the anointing. You see what the anointing is. The anointing is, is, um, when you, when you set something, the purpose is to set something aside for a specific purpose. For, for a specific work for the Lord, for God. You, you set it aside. Um, the anointing, you hear of, of the anointing in James, it says, any sick among you, let them call upon the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The anointing is recognizing that, that the Spirit of God, and God is in control, and I give everything over to Him for Him to lead me and guide me. The anointing, the act of anointing is, is literally smearing with oil or even sometimes covering in oil. One of the first examples you see of this, actually shepherds would anoint their sheep. They would pour oil all over their head to keep the bugs from being able to get on them and, and, to, and to mess with them, right? So this was a protection that was applied. So there's some things I want to talk about with the anointing. Number one is the protection of God that comes through the anointing. The anointing, the oil represents the spirit. And the oil represents how God is going to move and protect you in your life. You can look in Psalms chapter 105. and verse 15 it says, touch not mine anointed. 
Um, there's another verse um, in 1 Samuel 26, 9. It talks about the anointing of God and the protection that's there. I would encourage you to go read those verses at another time. But the, with the anointing comes protection. But I want to show you a couple things right in these last few verses in Luke that tells us a little bit more about the anointing. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, starts right from the beginning. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So he was full with the Holy Spirit. With the anointing comes provision. God will provide for you. The, the scripture shares us as Christians today that we can be full of the Holy Spirit. That, that we, can be, we can be full of, of God's precious oil, of his anointing that provides protection and provides provision for us. It also says the anointing comes direction. You notice it says he was led by the Spirit. We often say in, in, in that, that his word will, will be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, right? Well, it's, it's his anointing can that Spirit be led by the Spirit. What does that mean? These are words that so often in, in our day and age, we miss it. We miss what it means to, to experience the full presence of God. It seems so radical to some, and yet to others it comes so freely. It's about preparing your heart to be able to receive what God wants to give you. And that's what he starts pulling out in these next few scriptures. This is why he pulled this verse and he proclaims to them that I am he. I am he. With the anointing comes power. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, in the power of the Spirit. So we see in the fullness of the Spirit, in the leading of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit, Jesus stands on this day to say, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's what we hear. That's what we get. That's just, he says he started with that, but I'm sure that's not all he had to say. Because in the next verse, it goes on and says that they all marveled at how gracious his words were. I'm sure he started laying out the reasons and what these scripture means and how he is qualified. Jesus, as, as Kevin preached last week, the qualified Messiah, he stood up in that synagogue that day and proclaimed to everybody without a doubt they had to choose a side. Either you agree with what he said or you're going to have to reject with what he said. And he goes on from the anointings. The Lord, the, the Spirit is upon me and he has anointed me and he's anointed me for a specific Let's look at what some of those purposes are. There's the anointing. Let's talk about the message that Jesus gave that day. First, he says, I'm anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, I, I don't know about you, but my mind immediately goes to, um, to the social status or how much money I got in my bank when I think about the poor. And, and there's another scripture that says that it's easier for uh, a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than to get to heaven. That, that the poor is the, 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 low, the low in heart. Um, the, the, the poor are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God. And so when I think about those things, I have to think that there's always a message. There's, there's the physical, the natural that we understand, but then there's always a spiritual side of these things. I want you to understand today that this, the 
We talk about the poor, that he's come to give good news to the poor. He's talking about the good news to those that are spiritually bankrupt, those that are spiritually poor. People like me, that I was lost and without him, I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. It was unsurmountable. It was, it was, it was, it was deadening. When you're in debt to the point where you have no control over your life, it it controls you. And Jesus said, I come to proclaim good news. Just those who are begging by the street side, but those who are poor spiritually without any hope in this world. I didn't just come for you, the Jewish people. I came for the Gentile as well. Uh, he, he said that he came to proclaim good news to the poor. He all, you know what's important about that? You know why it's so much easier for a poor man to get into heaven than a rich man? I'll tell you why. It's because the poor man has to depend on something other than himself to be able to get by. The rich man feels like, oh, I've, I've got this covered. I'm a self-made man. I can do it by my own. They don't rely. They don't depend on anything but what they can do, what they can provide. And isn't that the message we get in our society today, that you need to go out and, and make your own way, that, that you got to go after more and more and more and less dependence on God? There are people who, who, who will call um, evil good and, and good evil. And that's where we are. We are the audience of his message. I come to proclaim good news to the poor. He then goes on to say, um, proclaim liberty to the captives. Um, so, so those who are shut up and imprisoned, they're, they're imprisoned by things. And, and so it's physically imprisoned. Did he come to just open the prison gates? Um, it's a spiritual imprisonment that he's talking about. I, I come, if you are shackled by sin, if you're shackled by the things of your past, if the things that you've done worries you and you think, how could I ever have a relationship with God? How could I ever go to church? How could I, how could I ever sit there and people's going to judge me and people, no, 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 no. He came to set you free. He, and he said, I'm anointed to proclaim captive proclaim liberty to the captives. That's why he's here. That's why he came. This is his message. And it says recovery of sight to the blind. Did he heal people? Did he give sight to the blind? Yes, he did. But I think he's talking more about the spiritual blindness, the the inability to see the truth. Because without God's spirit, you don't recognize the truth even though it's right in front of your face. You can't see the sun. Because of your blindness, the S-O-N, son, because of your blindness. He said, set at liberty those who are oppressed. We have a lot of oppression still today. Oppression is basically where somebody is mistreated or abused or treated incorrectly because of somebody's abuse of their authority. Uh, the abuse of authority runs rampant in our society today. And it's not anything new. We act like it is. But there were those that were oppressed then. Are you spirit by those who would say, oh, you know, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You, I, I would say sometimes Christians, we are guilty of oppressing people. In our zeal to share the good news, 
we end up oppressing. We have to be careful that we don't do the job of the Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit is to go out and is to convict them. Our job is to love them. Amen? Right? Our job is to, is to love and um, let God do what God does. He's anointed to set at liberty the oppressed. My very favorite part of this portion of Scripture is this very last one. I wish we, we could do this. Um, called the year of the favor of the Lord. Um, what he's referring to is what's called the year of Jubilee. In the Jewish, in the Jewish culture, every 50 years... They would have the year of Jubilee. And I, I think it's appropriately named. So here's what the year of Jubilee is. The year of Jubilee, your, all of your debts would be canceled. Okay? Anything that somebody else had that rightfully belonged to you would be returned. You would also get an opportunity to go home to your family, to your loved ones, and it was a year of rest. No work. There, there's no toiling the fields. There's no harvesting. There's nothing. For that year, the year of Jubilee, we, everybody gets a year off. You down? <laughs> Jesus said, I'm, I've come to give you the favor of the Lord. I've come to cancel your debt. I've come to all you that are weak and heavy laden. Come unto me because I will give you what? Rest. See, Jesus is talking about this spiritual Jubilee Restore, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. This year of Jubilee, he stands and he says, hey, I'm here to proclaim it. Uh, we're, we're, we're releasing debt. We're restoring families. We, we are, um, we're, we're, we're giving you a time to be able to just rest and focus on what's really important. That's your relationship with me. So then Jesus sits down. Now imagine that he gets up, he reads that little portion of scripture, and he goes and he sits down. That wasn't unusual, it was normal. The person who would read the scripture would stand up to read the scripture. That's why I asked you all to stand today um, as we read the word of God. I want you to stand because that was the custom. That's what Jesus did. Jesus stood to read the scripture, and then when he was done reading, he closed the scrolls and he went and he sat down, and all eyes were fixed on him. You could hear a pin drop. Sure. What is he going to say? Because listen, the people in that synagogue that day knew that that scripture was prophecy about the Messiah. And I'm sure they're, they're thinking, man, he's got nice words. He's, he's saying it just right. What he's saying is true. His words are gracious. But then the murmuring starts. Isn't this Joseph's son? There's no way that he could be the Messiah. He's from here. The Messiah is supposed. The Messiah is royal. He's coming. He's going to. He's he's a he's a battler. He's a warrior. He's going to rescue us, and he's going to kick all of our enemies out. He's here to rescue us. What are you talking about, Jesus? This is Joseph's son. Oh, they talked well about him. Oh yeah, marvels. But then the doubt starts. Jesus, as was known, he would often say, hey, um, he call you out. <laughs> this is what you said, but this is what's true. Um, go back to uh, the, the woman at the well. She, he said something about, 
your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. He, she, he says, oh, yeah, what you're saying is true. Uh, you've had five, and the one you're with now isn't yours. Ouch. And she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> Who you been talking to? You've been stalking my Facebook page. But no, um, he understands the heart of man. And so he takes a moment, and he calls him out. Look what he said. He said, no doubt, you're going to quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. In other words, prove it. Prove it, Jesus. You, know, you said all these things, and, and we've heard of all the things that you're doing, but you need to prove it here in your hometown because we know who you are. You are Jesus of Nazareth. You came here every Sunday. You're trying to tell me that all this time we've been in the presence of the Messiah. Can't you just hear it? Well, all this time, we've been looking for him. You've been right here. Prove it. And he says, you know, that's what you're going to say, but here the reality is a prophet is not acceptable in his hometown. And then he gives them a couple of uh, examples. And he pulls up a dark time in Israel's history. This is one of the, some of the most faithless times in the history of Israel. So you remember when Isaiah, when Elijah was sent to the Jewish people and you wouldn't heed his word. And so he called for a drought. And so for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And there was a famine across the land. He said, you remember that? Well, there were a lot of widows in Israel, but God didn't send him to any one of them. Where did he go? <laughs> he went to a widow who was a Gentile. And he ministered to a Gentile, not to any of the widows that were in Israel at the time. Well, that didn't set too good. I'm sure they were immediately um, not happy about, number one, you're calling that out, calling us a faithless generation, that you're not willing to listen to, to your words because we lack faith, and you're going to tell me about Elijah being sent to a widow. Well, then it just gets a little bit worse because then he goes to Elisha, and he says, you remember Elisha? In, in the day of Elisha, there were a lot of lepers in Israel. There were a lot of them. But he, God didn't send him to any one of the Israel. He sent him out to the Syrian, Naaman. And he healed Naaman, a Syrian. Why does that matter? That is not, not only did, was Elisha sent and he ends up ministering not only to a Gentile, but a Gentile that was a leper. Like two str I mean, that's outcast of outcasts. And they're like, hey, so you're, you're going to remind us of that? What? Also, Naaman was commander of the enemy army. So he's a Gentile, he's a leper, and he's the commander of the army that's against us. And that's who God went to? That's who God healed? Oh, they did not like it at all. They got so angry. So in six verses, they went from, oh, he's the best. That's our boy. To, let's kill him. And like a lynch bomb, they drove him out of the synagogue, through the streets, all the way to the cliff. And they're ready to throw him over. And they finally got the miracle they were looking for. And they didn't see it. You know what that miracle was? They were ready to throw him over. And you know what he did? 
He turned around, he walked right through the midst of them and left. None of them touched him. You know why? Because the anointing, the protection of the anointing of God, the protection, the provision, the direction, the power of the anointing of God. He walked right through them. It wasn't his time yet. It wasn't his time. He had stuff to do. He still had words to preach, words to teach. He still had people to heal. He still had things to accomplish. They couldn't touch him. They got their miracle. It just wasn't what they were looking for. They, 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 got, they, they got what they've been looking for all of their time, but it wasn't exactly how they thought it, they thought it should be. It wasn't being done how they thought it should have been done. Well, we've been taught our whole life that he's going to come and he's going to rescue us. I don't care about anybody else. Rescue us. Oh, but that's not what Jesus' message was. Jesus' message wasn't, I'm coming to set you free. I'm coming to clear your day. I'm coming. No, no, no. That's not what he said. He said, I'm coming for all people. And especially those who are spiritually poor and oppressed. You've got to humble yourself and believe. Oh, back in the book of I, um, in Isaiah, it says, if my people were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, then I will heal their land. Oh, that's a message for then. It's a message for today. The anointing of God is available to you. It's available to me. That same spirit that directed him can direct you, can give you power, can give you protection, can give you direction. So what can we learn about this portion of Scripture? Well, it sounds very familiar because this is the same message we continue to preach today. That Jesus has come for, for the poor in heart. That Jesus has come to set the captives free. That Jesus is the one that will, will get rid of the oppressors. He's going to cancel your debt. He's going to give you rest. All oh, some of those things aren't on this side, but it's on the other side where you'll finally see the realization of how he opened our eyes, of how he provided. Like in Jesus' time, there were some who accepted his message, and there were some who rejected it fiercely. Violence. I never understood that. I see it all the time. I see it on social media. That there are so many people out there that get angry at the name of Jesus. And what they'll say is, why do you believe in a superstition? Why do you believe in it? But they don't have a problem with Superman. They don't get angry. If, if he's just a fairy tale, if he's just a fairy tale, if he's just a comic book hero, then why do you get so angry if I, if I talk about him, if I believe in him? Why does that bother you? I'll tell you why. Because I don't think there is anything as such as an atheist in their heart. They're rejecting the message of God. Simple. If, if they really didn't believe it, why would they care so much? My, my grandfather was an atheist. He didn't believe. He was in his 70s and had to have open heart surgery. Double bypass. 
VA hospital in Tampa, me and my uncle went to visit him, We're, went into, into the pre, pre-op room, said, Grandpa, can we pray with you? And you know what his response was? Now, he's going in, they're ruling him in, they're going to cut his chest open, just touch and go. Is he going to make it? We don't even know. At the time, you'd be scared, I would think. His response was, I haven't needed God for 70 years. I don't need him now. Whoa. He went into surgery. He came out. Um, He woke up. We visited him with him. He still had the hoses and all the stuff. Couldn't talk, obviously. Me and my uncle went back to that bedside. And we said, Grandpa, can we pray with you? And he shook his head, yes. Oh, my. So, Grandpa, you know, you can pray too. You can ask Jesus in your heart right here. And tears started running down his face. He accepted the Lord in a hospital bed. Hours earlier, he said, I don't need him. I haven't needed him. I don't need him now. And just six verses later, he said, I'll accept him. My grandpa, I never heard him say, I love you. I never heard him say those kind of words. He was a great guy. He was a hard worker. He loved to golf. He would go golf. And I helped him build a house one summer in, in Lakeland. He was a carpenter. Have great fond memories, but the, my favorite memory is that day and the day I got to baptize him. He would then hug you and he would say, I love you. God changes hearts. The anointing of God, the Holy Spirit of God can reach down where, man, it's impossible that he can reach all the way down pull you That's what victory looks like, people. My third favorite day was his funeral. I stood and I read his obituary. And where I couldn't go on because of the tears is when I read, he's a memory, he's a member of Bethany Fruel Baptist Church. Those are words that I never dreamed I would get to say about my grandfather. But today, oh, he's, express, he's experiencing what is pure joy, pure heaven. We preach the same message today that Jesus stood up and said, I'm here to deliver the captives, rescue the poor. I'm, I'm here for this. But will you accept it? Or will you be like others Reject it. Send him down the road. The work of God doesn't always look like we think it should look. If you look at it this way, I think it should be. It doesn't always look exactly the way you think it should. And I want to tell you, I would have thought my grandfather would have got saved in church, but he wasn't going to go to church. So God went after him. There ain't no wall he won't kick down. 
right? Coming after me. He kicked down the walls of the hospital and said, come on, you don't need me, I'm going to show you. It's not always done by the people we think it should be done. And it's not always done how we think it should be done. See, the people in the synagogue that day had set in their mind, this is how it's supposed to look, this is how it's supposed to go, and this is who it's supposed to be. Folks, God uses what he wants to use when he wants to use it. He'll anoint something or someone and set it aside to work for a specific purpose. I want to be one of those things that he's anointed and set aside for a specific purpose. How about you? Doesn't have to look the way you want it to look and how you think it should go and who you think should do it. So we're faced with a question. Just as those in the synagogue that day, here's the question. Do you want to be a part of the work God is doing? Or do you just want God to be a part of the work you are doing? Man, there's a, something to chew on right there. Do you want to be part of the work God's doing? Or do you just want him to do what you want him to do? God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your, uh, for your message, for the anointing, God, that you had a fullness of the spirit and anointing for a specific purpose. God, you came so that we may be free. God, may we not reject your message or the ways that you get our attention. God, I just pray that you will help us as Christians to walk in the anointing and worthy of what you've called us to be do. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, God, but they, that this won't fall on deaf ears or a stony heart, but God, that they will respond and recognize the need for you. This isn't a comic book story. This is your life. God, you. Thank you.